Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Hi, everybody. This is Joe Moss, your moderator for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank, and welcome to the year 2017. If it's anything like 2016, it'll be full of change and uh, hopefully a lot more success in this year than we had had uh, last year. But as a small, someone that looks over the small business industry, we actually had a pretty good year last year. Uh, still a lot of regulation, but I think 2017 is going to be even better. The show is presented by Embassy National Bank. As you know, we're a nationally chartered financial institution. Our deposits are insured by the FDIC, and we're going to uh, discuss topics designed to help small businesses succeed because, as you know, at the bank, we love to help small business. I'm the president over at the bank, and we welcome you to the Subaru of Gwinnett studio. The numbers we got for the end of the year indicate that we still are the number one small business show on Business Radio X, so we thank you for your patronage and hope we'll give you continue to deliver our good product for you to listen and learn from. Um, today we have a uh, a guest. He's, this is our third time with you, isn't it, Brian? Yeah, it is. Uh, hey, Joe. This is uh, Brian Mulligan, who is the founder and president of Applied Information Inc., which is a local technology company here in Gwinnett. And if you recall from our previous uh, discussions. Uh, Embassy National Bank provides funding to Brian and has we've enjoyed his success as much as he has. Brian, welcome. Hey, Jeff. And um, first, I want to introduce Brian as a serial entrepreneur. So he uh, just can't get it out of his head. He's always thinking about new stuff, which is wonderful. So we can always learn from his uh, knowledge and spirit. But Tell us about Applied Information. How are you guys doing? Yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, we, we're doing great. I think that I can characterize it like this. When I started Applied Information, uh, it was in the middle of the Great Recession. What year was that? It was 2010. Or 20, and when did you guys, when did you come to see us? In 11? In 10? 11 or so, yeah, around, around right, there. Right, right, right. I figured out that starting a new business in the middle of a recession was a really smart thing to do. And my wife figured out it was the most stupid thing I could ever possibly have done <laughs> because I was convinced that uh, if we started then and I developed the technologies that we needed uh, in order to be successful, by the time the market turned and people started buying again, especially uh, local authorities and cities and so forth, we'd have the technologies and we'd be ahead of the market. It was a close-run thing because the recession was really much longer and deeper than we all thought. Right. It didn't pop out as much as we thought. No, it sure. And uh, so it was a close-run thing. I mean, we had all these great technologies, and that's when we um, came to see you. And I said, hey, Joe, trust me. I'm a good guy. We've got all this cool stuff, and one day people are going to start buying it en masse. And you had a look at it, uh, and bless you guys, man, because you saw, as I did, that I was committed to it and that the fundamentals were good. And so it's proved to be. And 2016, uh, we're very thankful, was a breakout year for us where um, we had rapid growth and became strongly profitable, uh, are able to now turn around and invest those profits in further growth in, in the future. And so... Uh, 
we're very thankful to put the investing part of the business uh, behind us and uh, be, be, as we call it, transitioning from a startup to an enterprise is is the phase we're in. That's that's a good way to put it. And um, I think a lot of businesses are going through what you're going through. We uh, Embassy is the same way. We, we came out of the recession and we stopped being a uh, cleanup company and we began a began being a growth company. So we are, we're in the same stretch that you are trying to, to move forward and become an enterprise. And, uh, it's a whole different mindset. It's more fun. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure you spent enough years just collecting people's assets and, and uh, trying to get, get what just, you could for them. Well, most of it is, is spent trying to convince people that they have a problem and trying to get them to understand that they can fix their problem. But if they can't fix their problem, I will we'll have to fix it for them. Sure. Now your company, you've always talked about your company uh, likes to get into the space. You call it, uh, it's the internet of things. Sure. Tell us your products at this point, uh, both things that have been successful and those that are on the drawing board. Sure. So let me describe it to you like this. In the first instance, the secret of an entrepreneurial business is relationships and credibility. So you can say, come up with a good idea. Say, oh, I've got a good idea. Let's start a new radio station. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know anything about radio stations and I'm not credible in that space. Right. And so what those kind of companies, if you do that, more often than not that you fail. So what we did is we focused uh, in the transportation sector, and that's because I came out of that sector. I'd sold a previous business in that space, and so I had a non-compete, and I looked at all kinds of different things, agricultural systems and mining systems and Mm -hmm. things like that, Mm -hmm. um, which is where we developed some of our initial technology while I was under non-compete. But I decided to to really focus on the space that I knew best, which is the transportation sectors. And uh, that's surface transportation, the things you're familiar with, traffic lights, school beacons, um, trying to get fire engines through through, uh, traffic and so forth. And so uh, what we did is we developed a set of technologies based around how your phone works. And so what that means is it's a Yes, inside it's a complicated device, but it's easy to use. It's always connected to the internet. You never worry about software or where the cell towers are or what your IP address is and so forth. It just works. And so we we developed a, you know, from scratch a set of technologies that go into traffic cabinets, field devices, they're physical boxes. They all got uh, internet connectivity. That's what makes them part of the internet of things. They're things that mm-hmm, connect to mm-hmm. the internet. Cloud servers, uh, 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 which are you know virtual servers in the sky, as it were, and so our customers don't have to install anything as far as uh, servers and IT departments and so forth. They just use browsers, whether it be on their phones or their iPads or on their desk, and the the and the system just works. And that's proved to be very successful in the in a couple of key areas. One is um, uh, monitoring and managing traffic intersections. The second is uh, school beacons has been very successful. These um, beacons which tell you to slow down when the kids are getting on and off the buses. And getting out of school. And getting out of school. And by the way, I drove through a couple of school zones during the holiday and they weren't on. Yep. So I thought maybe Brian's got something to do with this. Yep, sure has. Uh, If it was anywhere in Gwinnett, it sure was. Then we also do uh, systems that allow ambulances 
fire engines and emergency responders to rapidly get through traffic intersections more safely uh, by, by the fact that we give the, tra- the fire truck a green light, uh, the, all the opposing t- traffic, which is potentially going to have a collision with it, is safely brought to a halt Mm -hmm. before the the fire truck gets there, Uh, as well as some other systems. uh, That's what we've been doing in the past, and that's been our breakout. But what we're doing in uh, 2017 is releasing what we call our Travel Safely Connected Vehicle Service, which brings your smartphone into the mix. And that, we think, is going to be a real 10 times multiplier for us is to be able to give you an alert on your phone or have your phone say to you, emergency vehicle approaching from behind wow. or from the okay. right. Because, okay. because you've always sat at a traffic light and said, wah, wah, wah. You don't know. Where's it coming from? And everybody's got their music on. Everybody's got the music on. So what it does is Everybody's got just, the music on. A lot of people, I've noticed now we're earplugs when they drive. So, so, some people do. It's, there's a role for legislation in all of this, but uh, we're focused on what we do, which is the turning it, managing traffic safety, mm-hmm. we're looking to turn that into a private sector-led initiative. Sure. Well, that's always the best way to get it out there. So who would be your buyer in that example? What it is, is it's the, the buyers are the cities. And what they do is the service to the public is provided free of charge. Okay. So what the way that works is that the uh, the city buy one of our boxes and put it in each traffic intersection. And then I license. Then I just log on. Then, then you just log on. Right. You do, in fact, you download an app from the right. app store. Right. And it's provided free. And when you're in, let's say, in, in Gwinnett County, uh, it says travel safely brought to you by Gwinnett County. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're in Cobb County, who hasn't bought the service, and you're, you go over there, your phone says, travel safely, not valid in Cobb County. Sure. Because we're always aware of where you are. And then you call Cobb County and say, how come I can't get this? Well, in fact, it's the thousands of people who will be using the system will call Cobb County and right. say, why doesn't it work in you? <laughs> I get it over in Gwinnett. <laughs> oh, I get it in Gwinnett. Why does it work in Cobb? Right. Or, or if I'm out of Atlanta, I'm over in Birmingham. Uh, you know, I get it over in Atlanta. How come I don't get it here? Uh, there you go. You, you, got the, you, got the, uh, you got the marketing plan right there. Uh, that's Isn't that called push-pull marketing? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. First, I want to applaud your success by being able to be successful while selling into the municipality type of environment, because that's a tough market to get an edge in and to be able to make money from, because the government, wheels of government go slow. Right. And there's a trick to that. There's a secret, which I'm going to tell you. Well, good. (laughs) And that is the role of distribution and channel partners. There are companies that have specialized for 40 years in making it their business to sell every city and county organization what it needs to buy. And these are the key guys. And and here I want to give a, 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 a shout out to you know, a couple of our channel partners like Temple out of Decatur, Alabama, um, and Paradigm out of Texas and Western on the West Coast and so forth, who are key to unlocking doors, point number one. Point number two, using their credibility, because they've been successfully delivering, delivering quality products for 30 years. And so when we come along, 
we we've got as a new company introduced by by one of these guys uh, as the latest and greatest thing that they've got faith and trust in, that credibility goes a long way. So that's a key thing is that you have to, as a startup, have credible access to market. Sounds like a simple thing to achieve, but it's not. Well, that's the toughest thing to achieve. Yes. And, and I think, I mean, kudos to you for recognizing that we're going to be technology. We don't want to try to be salesmen. No, we've got about 40 salesmen across the country right now, all credible, all know, all know every city and through our channel partners. If I try to build such an enterprise myself, it would cost millions of dollars sure. and it would take me years. And there are probably a lot of tech companies out there that have a thing yep. and they wonder why I can't sell it. They absolutely are. And they all think, well, all I have to do is put up a Twitter feed and a Facebook Page, and boom, and people start downloading. And, and, people, and, right. and I went to go and check the, 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 my emails, and there's still no purchase orders. Or you go and talk to people, and everybody will entertain you. Everybody will talk to you, and nobody will buy from you. Liakoko said, when all things are equal, people buy from a friend. When all things are not equal, they still buy from a friend. Sure. So in order to close a sale, you have to have credibility. And that's why... Uh, you know, chicken farming was something I was really interested in for a while because they had a real need to manage chicken farming. But I don't know anybody in chicken farming and I'm not credible in that business. And I could spend many years trying to sell in that business. Well, another good example is a chicken farmer, his channel partner is the packaging plant. You know, sure. the people that develop, deliver the chicks and eggs and whatever. So uh, this is On The Money and uh, we're talking to Brian Mulligan from Applied Information, Inc., talking about his uh, success story of uh, what Applied Information has been doing and where they're going. So um, one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past that I, you know I'm fascinated about, and that is the autonomous vehicle. Is that an area that you are going to concentrate on in the future, and how are you going to participate in that? Right. So... This story comes in the two-minute, the five-minute, and the three-hour version. So I'm going to give you the, somewhere, the, in, between, somewhere right. in between the two, two to five-minute version. The future of transportation, as far as the automobiles are concerned, lies in three areas. It's in the business of electric vehicles, the business of autonomous vehicles, and the business of connected vehicles. Connected yes. vehicles. And that is, and so I'm going to, Touch on each of those three things, but our main focus in our involvement in the future of automobiles is in the connected vehicle space. Electric vehicles, whether it be from fossil fuels or just a better way to drive or for climate change or whatever it is, electric vehicles are coming at a million miles an hour. Mm -hmm. All the automakers have versions of electric vehicles on the drawing board. What I did is to test all of this out, I went and bought an electric vehicle, a Tesla, which is both electric, autonomous, and connected. And so I've got about 10,000 miles on board in actually experiencing these technologies firsthand. So I can say that I've probably taken my last trip to a gas station about six months ago. Do you miss the gas station? No, on the contrary, because you think that you'd have to manage electricity and manage the process, but it's actually less to manage. And the reason being is I've got a gas station in my house. Every night I plug the thing in. It's just instinctive to plug it in. So every morning I leave 
my house with a full tank of gas. Mm-hmm. And I never worry about running out of gas. And I never have that business about, oh, I forgot to fill up. And it's always at an inconvenient time. And it's raining. And your range is? 300 miles. 300 miles, okay. And so that's the right kind of range that you want to get for an electric vehicle. I drive everywhere around the country uh, on long distance trips. It's absolutely effortless. And the the supercharging and the charging process on long distance trips and then charging in my home overnight has been really effective. And I find it by choice. I'd rather have an electric vehicle than a gas vehicle. And, it, and every, every month, the number of charging places is increasing. So, so that's electric vehicle. Autonomous vehicle, that's a whole conversation on its own. But as I've grown older, find it more tiring to, to drive. I'm finding that the autonomous feature is absolutely fantastic. It's yeah, a, now you were talking about the autonomous feature. After 20 minutes of driving, you're now more comfortable with the autonomous than you are the manual. Yes, because it's me and the car driving. It's just fundamentally safer. It's fundamentally less tiring. And six months of, of, of autonomous driving, where I've done, probably done 9,000 miles autonomously, has just demonstrated to me how effective that is in reducing the risk of me killing myself. Let's move from that. Let's talk about connected. Okay. Connected vehicle ties into this concept of, of the Internet of Things. And most of us in the new cars are in connected vehicles. Yes. And so now it's in the business of delivering applications to the connected vehicle. Because mm-hmm. they're all connected over cell, there's talk at the federal government level of introducing a radio system called DSRC, which may or may not, not happen. But it, it doesn't matter. The principles are the same. When you pull up to a traffic intersection, why wouldn't the car know how long it is until the t- lights change? Why wouldn't the car know the direction that the emergency vehicle is approaching from? Why wouldn't the car know that there's a bicycle, uh, there's a cyclist ahead, or a walker, or a walker, or a pedestrian, or a car that's still in the intersection? And so, the, one of the first applications we're we're doing, and we're rolling this out in 2017, is the cycling problem. A lot of cyclists get hit by cars. Mm-hmm. A lot, yes. And so what we're doing is so that your phone or your Apple Watch beeps and says, speeding car approaching from behind when you're on the cycle, on your cycle, cycle. But, uh, and in the car, it'll say, caution, cyclist ahead on the left. And so what that does is just it doesn't prevent you from driving into a cyclist, but it does provide a layer of safety where how many cyclists would we have to save in this North Atlantis, Atlanta area to make it worthwhile? Pedestrians as well. Pedestrians as walking well. Walking at night. Walking, uh, walking yeah, at uh, night. I didn't realize I walk a lot at night in our neighbor. I'm, I'm uh, invisible until the last minute. That's right. And so the, the, the concept of connecting everything to everything until comparatively recently was a pipe dream, but now everybody's got phones. All the cars are connected to the internet. All the traffic intersections can be connected to the internet. And suddenly everything's connected to everything. And that allows a whole series of safety and convenience. Uh, And we've got maybe 10 or 12 initial applications that we're going after to provide a safer and more convenient experience the business, we, we, as you know, we, we're strong in the school zone business. Mm-hmm. And people get used to the idea of these school zones flashing, uh, but nobody wants to hurt a kid. 
And so, I the, hope not. <laughs> yeah, would hope not. And so your phone beeps and says, "You're speeding in a school zone. Please slow down." The other thing that we do is, so why would people potentially download this app and use it? Is because we know where everybody is all the time. It allows us to turn the traffic lights green in the whole city before you get to the light while you're approaching. Hmm. Because we know where you are, we can tell the traffic signal to turn green when you're going 30 seconds before you arrive. It's called advanced detection. And it's while it's possible with existing technology, it means you've got to cut loops in the road and put wires in and so forth. And that all goes away with connected vehicles because the connectivity is in both directions. There's the, the, uh, the business of anonymity and privacy, and we got that handled. Mm -hmm. There's no way of tracing it back to who you are or what you, mm -hmm. the security is strong. And so what that does is it allows benefit to the, uh, to the motorist as well as convenience and safety to the motorist and the cyclists and the pedestrians and the school children and the school buses and everybody. Well, let's talk about that because the, and I don't know what the stats are, but the increased connectivity yes, to me is, you know, texting while driving. It seems to me that there is a higher risk associated with connectivity. However, the autonomous feature brings all that back to center. Correct. And in fact, I, I'm going to just describe the experiment that I've done on myself. Because I'm driving a connected car, and as you know, Tesla's got a big um, screen in the, in the front. So I've got my nav system up there with, with the roads and the traffic, the real-time traffic of, of, of what's, what's going on around me. And at the bottom, I've got my email and my Twitter feed. All and, on the same screen. All on the same screen. So the question would be is, uh, well, isn't that distracting? And what I've learned by driving like this is what is distracting is my phone going ding with a new text. That audible alert is the thing that distracts me to bend down, pick up my phone, and so forth. So not all distraction is, is equal. The other thing but that I've... Binging right in front of you is just kind of a natural it's move. It's actually part of your... Drive experience. Driving. And right. plus, you've got the car looking... Yeah, I describe it like this. People die in automobile accidents, accidents for only one reason. And that is due to the vehicle coming to a sudden, unexpected stop. Hmm. It crashes into something. Right. So... That's what I say 100%, but it's, you know, 99% sure. of accidents are caused by hitting something. Sure. Or so being it, hit by something. So, but, but if you can reduce, because, and if everybody has this technology, then it, you no longer get hit by things because that car then also does this. What it does is it automatically detects if it's going to hit something and safely brings itself to a halt before it hits it. Mm -hmm. And so all of these technologies are built into these new cars. This, the car that I drive has five layers of safety. I didn't realize it. They're not sold like that. Mm -hmm. First of all, it's me as the driver. The second is the autonomous. The car drives pretty well. It'll drive from here to Florida without you having to do anything. That's the second layer. The third layer is what they call crash detection or collision detection and avoidance. So what it does is if it thinks that it's going to have an accident, it goes, bop, bop, bop and highlights on the dash where the danger is, to the mm -hmm. right, to the left, and so forth. I've had that go off about five times. Huh. 
The, th the fourth layer is called crash mitigation. And if you're going to have an accident, this even applies to if you're going to hit a pedestrian and you were going to have an accident at 70 miles an hour and the car applies the brakes mm -hmm. in this absolute panic stop and you only have the accident at 30 miles an hour, a lot more people live. Sure. And in the same with detecting pedestrians, if you're going to hit a pedestrian, the curve is sort of logarithmic. If you can hit a pedestrian at under 20 miles an hour, they've got a good chance of surviving above 40 miles an hour. Or a bicycle or whatever. Or a cyclist, yeah. Sure. Um, what has been the experience, the actual, let's get to the facts of this thing. What is, what's the data say about the safety of autonomous driving? There's, the data says that it's looking very promising and there's not enough data yet. But I'm going to share some numbers with you. But, for example, the no, Google cars in California are having are in much less accidents per mile than a regular driven car. That's correct. But I'm going to describe it to you like this with some basic numbers. In America, 35,000 people a year die on the roads. That's a huge number. We crash a Boeing 737 every day mm -hmm. on the roads, and we declare the roads to be safe. So it's just because we've got used to it. The numbers are so high. Every but year, every day, every day, a jet airline goes down. Absolutely goes down, and it never makes the news. And no survivors. No survivors. Wow. And that 35,000 is compared a year, the dying motor accidents compares with roughly 50 that are killed in terrorism. Mm -hmm. And we all know about it, and we're all you know, really sensitive about it. We've got an opinion about it. And nobody's got really got a... But that's because we've got used to our children dying in car accidents. I mean, it's a lot, that's a, even that's a longer story. But, but in the private sector, there's an opportunity to say, let's do something about it. So, let, so let's talk the next number, is that even though such a lot of people die... A person only dies every 90 million miles of driving. So you think, well, that's... That's, that's to me a... If you were going to take a trip to the sun, you have more of a chance of having an accident... Well, I, let's put it this way. The chance of you having an accident on a drive to the sun, because the sun is 90 million, million miles, miles away. away, is one in 90 million. Yeah. Right, okay. And so you can say, well, that's a comparatively infrequent event. So what, let's talk a bit about the autonomous driving. So um, Google have only completed in their seven years of autonomous driving, 1.5 million miles. And they haven't had anybody die yet. So, but that's not statistically significant because they're just not driving enough. And they haven't caused an accident. No, they haven't caused an accident, but they, they're driving a relatively small number of miles. 1.5 million miles sounds a lot, right. but it's not, right. compared with 90 million miles per death. Tesla, on the other hand, adopted a different approach. What they did is they said that we're going to roll it out, so we, and we're going to do it as safely as we can, but we're going to gather real-world data from lots of vehicles. Mm -hmm. so what, and we're going to pace it. Right, but what happens is that Tesla have driven roughly 300 million miles so far. So now they're getting up to the, the, the kind of numbers that are meaningful, and they have had one death. That was in Orlando. Yes, that's Someone was. ran into a truck. No, somebody Talk ran into a truck. Talk about that. Yeah. So what happens is that 
Tesla now are driving 1.5 million miles a day autonomously. Hmm. So what that means is they're driving every day autonomously the same distance as Google drove in their whole program. And it's now you start this to be able to de develop the statistics. So if the, the Tesla autonomous driving was just as safe as human driving, we'd expect to get a death every 60 days. We haven't had, we've had one. And we've had one in the, in the, in the 18 months that it's which been Which they fixed the next day. And which, which they fixed and they downloaded a software update to my car to fix it. Right, right. You're listening to On The Money, and we're talking to Brian Mulligan. He always kind of puts us out there about 20 years and makes us think a lot. And um, we are talking about the concept of autonomous driving, Google versus Tesla, where all that's going. Brian, you made a statement couple of years ago, and it looks like that it's, I've now seen this several times, but the people born today will probably not be driving their own cars. They will be in autonomous vehicles. I think it's every probability that the debate will be about whether it's safe to let people drive at all. And because you feel safer, your wife feels safer now that you've gotten over this, when the autonomous mode is on than if you're driving. Yes. And, 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 you know, and I, t I tell the story against myself of, of driving down to St. Simon's Island. And uh, uh, that's, you know, I did a thousand miles on that trip and I'm driving down there. And this is the first long distance trip we did it, it, with the technology to drive autonomously. And uh, I'm driving and watching the road and, and enjoying this experience. And I look over at my wife and she's sleeping in the car next to me. And I say, dear, you know, how, you know, this is the first time I've ever seen you close your eyes while I'm driving. And yes, she says, it's because my sense is that somebody else is looking over your shoulder. Hmm. So she had the feeling that somebody was driving with me. And so that's why she didn't have to drive with me. And that's, I mean, it's just quite a telling little anecdote that somebody who's not a technology person absolutely felt being safer with having the technology driving with us. Now, 300 miles on I-16, yeah. going out of Macon, uh, very little there. Where did you find a way to charge up? Okay, so it's, what is, one of the cleverest technologies that Tesla did was their network of superchargers. So the superchargers are actually all over the place. There's one in Atlanta, there's one in Macon, there's one in Tifton, there's one in Birmingham, there's, um, and so forth. And so what you do is into the nav system, you just type in your address. And if it's too far to get there based on the real-time energy that you have in your car, how full your tank is, it routes you to a supercharger and tells you how long to charge for. And typically, you have to charge for 20 minutes. So it's just enough time to stretch your legs, cup of, cup of coffee. And you need to be stretching. Well, I don't know. You don't need to be stretching your legs because now you're driving well, autonomously. Well, it's, 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 it's just the way it works right now. I don't think about it too much. It's just all very practical. By the time I have to charge, it's time for me to go and grab another latte or something like that anyway. So I just... I don't stress about it. I just do what the computer tells me to do. And so, for example, I'm, I'm heading up to Decatur, Alabama next week. And so you'd think, that's in the middle of nowhere. How would I get there? And so I checked it out by typing it into my car. Uh, it told you where to go. Told me where to go, which is Birmingham, and charged there for 20 minutes. 
drive up to Decatur, turn around, drive back to Birmingham, charge for another 20 minutes. Which you would do anyway if you were driving anyway. That's right. So it's just effortless. To It's been very well managed in terms of the computer and the supercharging network managing your drive for you. And then obviously you've got an app on your phone and that when you're sitting there having your latte and your phone goes ding and it says you're ready to carry on with your drive. You get in the car and carry on driving. Now, I saw an ad of a autonomous Mercedes truck on the Autobahn mm-hmm. and it was going and the guy actually turned his seat around and started having a meeting in the back seat. Right. Are we there yet? No. No. In other words, I think that they got dispensation to do that. It was a technology demonstrator. It was a Budweiser truck and, and, and so forth. And the use case of driving on the freeway, on the open road, that's pretty well taken care of. But what one of the things that I've certainly learned is that this is not going to be a switch. One day we're driving, the next day the car's driving, and we're not worrying about well, it. It evolves. It's going to evolve with us sharing the driving. It's like a autopilot in an airplane. Yeah, we had talked about that earlier. It's almost like you're you're navigating now a very sophisticated Delta 777. Absolutely correct. And so then it handles the cruise just fine. And then with the next version of software, it handles the climb out and the descent. Then it'll go to handle a take, the takeoff. Uh, then it's going to handle the landing. And eventually, it'll fly from gate to, to gate. And eventually, in a car, you'll be able to plug in an address. Correct. And it'll take you there. That is correct. So that, uh, that, Now, that, it, 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 you've got to kind of work around that. But once you get in a straight passage, you go autonomous mode, I would think. You absolutely do. And the other interesting thing is that nobody dies driving around your neighborhood. Correct. Because you're not going fast enough. Correct. So the business is saying, ah, autonomous is no good because it doesn't drive in my neighborhood. Well, that's just false thinking. So, so, but where did, where are your most, where are the most likelihood of accidents, whether they be death or not, just accidents, rush hour traffic, fender benders. Fender benders. So that's a key one to 50% of the accidents on the freeways, which cause all these snarl-ups, are rare in collisions. Those that are bigger than that are because there's a lot of busyness going on and people not paying attention. Distracted driving. Your phone goes ding, you look down, and then suddenly there's a stopped car in front of you. Sure. So if you can handle those use cases, which the technology absolutely 100% can handle right now. you're cutting out 50%. So you're cutting out 50%. The traffic flows smoother. Everybody's safer. So... Just because, you know, so 35,000 people a year die in car accidents. I make this point. People are talking about zero fatalities by the year 2030. And I say, well, if applied information, instead of by using our best efforts, instead of getting to zero fatalities by December the 31st on 2030, we get there by November the 30th. Of 2030. So all we do is we save one month. We're saving. We're saving more lives than are lost than were lost on September the 11th. Good point. So it's hugely important we do something about and it. it has right to, now. It has to evolve. People yeah. need to embrace it, get used to it, because it's not going to work unless people start embracing it. Right, and and to get it out there, people means that people will embrace it because they'll see it and get used to it. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's why we're working with these technologies, like your phones and, and so forth, is to the things that you're already comfortable, let's use that as a mechanism to keep you safer. You know, everybody's saying, uh, everybody I talk to, have a, there's a misnomer out there that you have to have sensors on the highway in order for this to happen. It doesn't work that no. way. It's all GPS-oriented. Interestingly enough, it's not even GPS-oriented. GPSs are not accurate enough right now. What, what it does is it reads the lines and the road signs like a human. Now, that's scary. Yeah. Uh, you need to come drive with me, Joe. Even in the rain, right? No. Interestingly enough, in the rain, when you as a human can't see the lines, yeah. it can't see the lines either. Okay. So what it does is it goes slower. <laughs> because it knows that it's dangerous. But it knows someone who's next to you and in front yeah, of so you. Yes, and, it's still, and, and yeah, it yeah. still won't hit anything. Right. Because it's, it's going out, you know, 300 feet out, out front. But the whole business of using technology to assess these situations and then keep us all safe is right here. That's mm -hmm. all doable right today. That's fascinating. I tell you this, but we're at the end. The time goes fast, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does indeed. And, uh, I, uh, we could talk about this for three hours. I agree. <laughs> but a couple of things I want to summarize in terms of uh, any small business owner or entrepreneur that's listening to this. A couple of things that, that I'm hearing is that um, you've got to, in, in making your business successful, you've got to be ready to transition from the development side into the growth side. As Brian put it, going from being a startup to becoming an enterprise uh, those are completely different thought processes and abilities. You agree with that? Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, the other thing is Brian recognized what he's good at, what he's not good at. He allowed someone else to sell for him. So he is he develops and then uses uh, what he calls channel partners to get in front of the customer and to make that sale for him. And then the interesting thing that I don't know, I guess, Brian, you probably know this is a strength, but. In Brian's business, he's working on a handful of things now, but as you can tell, he is thinking 20 years ahead, and how is applied information going to remain relevant now as well as well into the future? Absolutely, so, absolutely, Joe. And one key critical thing, the most important thing of all, never run out of cash. And that's why... And uh, you've got to have a good bank behind you. Absolutely. And uh, it's tough sometimes as a startup company because a lot of startup companies, in your particular example, we had an additional source of repayment. And I think that everybody that's starting up needs to think along those lines. How is the bank going to think about my deal? Are they going to just write me a check? No. They're going to want to be protected. So as part of your capital planning, you need to think about those things. And as you build and grow, associate yourselves with people that can help you financially, either guaranteeing credit, providing bridge money, whatever. It's a very important part of the concept. Brian, we'll do this again. Um, Appreciate it, Joe, as always. You say it's 2030. I suspect we get back together and get back sooner than this, but probably three years from now, we'll be that much further along. We'll have Absolutely. much smaller cars that are autonomous, that are connected 
and all those things. Electric trucks, electric pickup trucks. Yeah, and uh, the other thing we haven't talked about, I don't know, is why it, why electricity? Is there a better way to do this whole thing? But, uh, I mean, it's available. It's it's easy, I guess, easily easy to create. But we can talk about the whole energy source, too, at some point. But um, congratulations to your company having a great year, thinking in the here and now, but also thinking well in advance and trying to keep yourself relevant. That's, that's a good lesson for everybody. Appreciate it, Joe. Thanks so much. Okay. And uh, so anyway, that's our show for today, the inaugural show of 2017. I think it's been a really good one, and we appreciate Brian coming in and sharing some of his thoughts. So with that, I'll conclude by saying that this has been On the Money, the number one small business show on Business Radio X. It's presented by Embassy National Bank. And uh, you can enjoy this show or any of our other On the Money episodes by going to onthemoney.businessradiox.com. And you'll uh, just look down the the list and you'll see our uh, different shows. We've got about 75 out there now. Shows are also available on iTunes. You can stream them and listen to them while you drive uh, in your connected automobile. You can also go out and see some of our episodes uh, on air at... uh, uh, Gwinnett Business Radio X channel on uh, YouTube. So um, we're trying to, our, ourselves, trying to stay a lot more relevant. And hopefully you guys can, uh, all of our listeners can learn and, and be better uh, business people. So with that, I'm Joe Moss of Embassy National Bank. Be careful out there. They're going to be autonomous cars, but don't worry. They're, they're a lot safer than you are. One thing that I got from Brian is that you got to leave fear in the back seat. I compliment all serial entrepreneurs for this. They have a real trust in themselves and their ability to envision and implement their stories. And last but not least, uh, with Brian's growth, what I can tell you is he has stayed authentic. I think that's important for us. Be yourself, trust yourself, and stay authentic. So, With that, we will see you next time. Thanks.